everybody, welcome back to another edition to the Point Podcast. I am your host, Noah Warren, as always. Sorry about yesterday. I was supposed to do a, a show. Just things came up, and I didn't get back in time, and I didn't want to rush it. I didn't want to do a poor job of a show because Thursdays normally is my NFL preview show day where I'm going to go through each division. I'm going to preview a division every week and kind of give you guys a, a refresher on what's happening in the NFL, which players move where, different training camp notes. So, And that I plan on sticking with that. Now, next week I am in Edmonton, and I'm unsure of my podcast schedule as of right now. I'm gonna, I plan to do shows, but I'm traveling with a crazy man who is my cousin. He, he, does, he does crazy things. Who knows what he'll be up to? I'm only kidding. But he might want to do some stuff, and I, I've never been, so I'm going to try to do shows. But we'll, we'll see what happens uh, out in Edmonton. So that's TBD for now. But I, like I said, I do plan on, on doing some content out there with the World Juniors and things happening. And also, I want to keep doing these preview shows because by the time I get back, we'll be a week closer to the NFL starting, which is great. So what I'm going to do this weekend is we're going to do a regular show today. We're going to talk about World Juniors. We're going to talk about some interesting Major League Baseball stories that I find compelling. The Rogers Cup, which I've been glued to, including last night, which was uh, Layla, uh, sorry, Bianca Andreescu's match, which was compelling and had some interesting. I, I thought it had some interesting points in it, and when it comes to her development, her getting back to the top of her game. So we'll touch on that. But tomorrow and Sunday, there are going to be shows. It's the weekend, but again, it's the weekend, but I'm, I'm going out. I, I want to I do shows. I'm, I'm in the NFL mood. I'm doing these. I'm doing a lot of study. I'm, I'm getting things on my, on my legal pads. As you can see, I'm old school still. I do have a computer. I do look up things on the internet, but I still like writing things on paper. Throughout the the course of this show, I probably have five or six legal pads full of notes. So I'm, I'm constantly every night I'm making notes. I have a different legal pad, which is this one. This is my NFL legal pad. This is the one where I take all my notes on players, on different guys, signings. So that's where I keep those notes. And so tomorrow is going to be a podcast about the NFC East. I'm going to go through the entire division. We'll talk about Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, the star, you know, all that stuff. The Philadelphia Eagles, interesting things there. So that's tomorrow's show, and I'm going to intermingle some things that happened tonight in the world of sports, baseball, world juniors, what have you. And then Sunday morning, I'm going to be doing an NFC North preview show. So that'll be about the Packers, some interesting – NFC North has been a quiet division for some time. It won't be this year. There's a sneaky good team that is going to have a good season that you don't really think about. There's also going to be a team that might be the worst team in football. I thought it was Atlanta. I'm not so sure anymore. There might be another team in that division who might just get the first pick in the draft this coming year. So that's the next two days. That's what I plan to do. So NFC East, Saturday morning. I'll be live around 9-ish. I plan to be anyway. I'll be live sometime tomorrow. That's a guarantee. And then on Sunday, same thing, live talking about things. We'll talk about golf as well, where we got the, the um, first leg of the FedEx championship, the St. Jude in Memphis. 
So we'll talk about that with some players that are right on the, the cut line of just making this tournament, having great starts, including Denny McCarthy, Sahit Tagala, and Emiliano Grillo, who lead the tournament currently. So that's the weekend. I fly out Monday, so there won't be a show Monday. I'm getting to Edmonton, and then I'm we're going to head to the Canada game that afternoon, which will be... I still got to figure out the time. I think I was just, I was there in December. I think it's a three hour time change. It might be four. I don't know. It's all I know is it's a better time zone than we have here. Because as I've touched on in an earlier show, our, we have the worst time zone. Maybe Newfoundland might be worse than us, but Atlantic time zone sucks. Mountain West, Pacific, Central, anything else is better. Anything. Atlantic time zone, by far the worst, because we have later starts to things. When you're out west, every sporting event is done by like 8 o'clock at night. Imagine that. You could sleep normally. You could get, I mean, maybe people just aren't psycho like me, but you could go to bed and sell it as a reasonable hour. Get a, get a good night. Get some good REM cycle. Wake up. NFL games start at 10 o'clock out there. God. What could be? Maybe one day, but so that that's the weekend schedule. I'll be like I said, I'll I'll be in Edmonton from Monday until Sunday, flying back Sunday. So I'll be back doing shows a week from Monday here in New Brunswick. So that is what's happening for to the point. And as I mentioned, plan on doing shows out there, just to be determined the time, to be determined. Uh, if I when I can do it and what happens just based on close proximity and just our schedules and things of that nature. So I'll let you guys know when I plan to go live. I'll do some updates on my Facebook page and things of that nature. So that is what's happening in the next 72 hours here for To The Point. We're show today, NFC East tomorrow. So all you, all you Cowboys fans, you'll get your content tomorrow. You can hear about your Cowboys tomorrow morning. And then NFC North is on Sunday. That would mean we only have one NFC uh, pod left to do when it comes to previews. Because I've done the South. We'll have to do the East. Well, the North. Or, uh, we might have. No, we have. Did I do the South yet? Might not have done the South. We got, we've got. we done the NFC West. So I have three. I'll have one more from the NFC. And then we'll start going through the AFC which to me is the more compelling conference. There's more, there's better teams. There's things of that nature. So we'll, we'll start that when I get back from the show, uh, from the trip. I'll also do my top quarterback rankings. I'll do that when we come back from the trip. And then I'm, I got a Friday show that I want to do every week during NFL slash college football season. It's going to do a lot with gambling. It's going to, it's going to have a big gambling component. It'll be a preview of games, slash spreads, money line, things of that nature. So that is what I plan on doing this this fall slash winter when it comes to NFL and gambling. So keep your eyes peeled for that as we move forward here. But back to today's show. I saw last night there was a tweet that the National Bank Open, which is the Rogers Cup or the tennis tournament ongoing, had better ratings than Team Canada's first game on TSN. I can't say I'm surprised. It's, I think this tournament 
unfortunately, is a hit or miss for people. Some people might be checked out on the tournament because of the allegations regarding Hockey Canada and sexual assault cases and, and all of that minutia. And I understand that to an extent. I, I'm of the opinion that you can support players and not support the brand, not support the shield. If you, I've mentioned the NFL before a lot of shitty people in the NFL. Unfortunately, I am not big enough to stop watching it because I love the sport and I just can't do it. I wish I was a bigger man. I wish I was a better person because then I might, although my life would be far less enjoyable and I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And I would probably crash and burn a lot faster than I currently am. However, I think you can look at Hockey Canada and look at these players and you can separate the two because you're not cheering for Hockey Canada. You're cheering for Canada. That's what I, I grew up. You're cheering for your country. I mean, when you root for a hockey team, are you rooting for Toronto Maple Leafs Sports and Entertainment or are you rooting for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think there's a different you're not rooting for the owner of the team to win a championship. I don't think many people care about their owner winning a championship. Do Dallas Cowboys fans really care if Jerry Jones gets the trophy? Are you rooting for Jerry? Jerry's rooting for Jerry, but that's about the only person I think that roots for Jerry and not Prescott on the back of the jersey. There's a difference there. I, I think it's a major difference, and the reason I, I say that, maybe it's me just putting this – trying to frame it to make myself sound better. But watching the tournament, you look at McTavish, you see Bedard, you see Zellweger, Zabrango. You root for those guys. You don't root for the brand. You don't root for the people that are benefiting from these players. What this is, basically, and I'm going to get to the games, but I just I'm going off on this tangent a little bit, just thinking about it last night. With this Hockey Canada, and I think people not watching the tournament, people not being there live, what I think it is, is it has a connection to college football, as a connection to NCAA. And the reason I say that is people hate the institution of the NCAA, including me. The NCAA is one of the crooked, most notorious, evil organizations in all of the world. They steal from young young people. They didn't pay their players forever. It was basically slave labor, so these players could make them billions of dollars. However, we still consumed the product. We still loved it. But you, you rooted for the players. You rooted for the guy that was going to win the Heisman. It wasn't about the, the institution that surrounds it all. I don't I, – it's a weird – thing for me and I truly mean this I forgot how to be a fan because doing this show I made I said to myself Noah you have to quit your fandom there are many media members that don't quit their fandom and I don't think they're doing the job correctly that includes working in, in a media market if you live in Toronto I don't think you should be biased towards the Maple Leafs you live in Columbus I don't think you should be biased there I made a commitment that I want to do this professionally. I can't have ties. I quit my Maple Leafs fandom. I quit my Dolphins fandom, and I truly have. And I thought the only thing that I'm going to keep is rooting for my country. 
I can't even do that anymore. This is something with my brain chemistry, and I don't mean to get too philosophical here, but I forgot how to be a fan. I'm watching the Team Canada games. I do not celebrate when they score. I don't get excited when they score. I see good plays on different games, and I say, wow, what a play. Seeing the pass from McTavish to Bedard last night was incredible. But I don't go, wow, Canada scored. This is great. I've forgotten how to be a fan. Maybe you guys can help me in this case. Because I do. I want to root for Canada. But there's some I can't. And it's got nothing to do with Hockey Canada. That's just my personal, my personal thing here. I don't know why. But I can't. And it's perplexing. Maybe something I should talk to a therapist about, but I won't do that because we won't get into that today. But again, why? This tournament has so many layers to it. People don't like watching hockey in August. I get it. There's good weather. You're busy. My only pushback is, what are you watching on TV? What's good TV? What's on network TV right now? Streaming, there's a lot. If you're streaming stuff, have at it. Blackbird, The Wire, The Northman. I watched that last week. What a movie. Oh, fantastic film. If you haven't seen The Northman, watch it. Fantastic film. I, I loved every second of that movie. Incredible, just just a fantastic film. So if you're streaming, I get it. But if you're if you just got network TV, even if you got Netflix, what's good on Netflix right now? What what's a show on Netflix that you crave to watch? Hey, crave, little plug for you. Crave's a better platform. But I mean, I, for Netflix, unless you're watching The Office or Superstore, what what are you watching? There's nothing else. Nothing compelling. Can we? The Netflix has a few good half-hour comedies. That's about it. Peaky Blinders. I heard the last season stinks for multiple people. I've never seen the show. I can't deal with the accent. Watch an Animal Kingdom. So a little hot. I think Animal Kingdom's a little bit overrated. No Breaking Bad, I'll tell you that. But, but why, why aren't people watching? I think if the NFL started in August, people would watch it. I think if basketball started in September, people would watch it. Is this just hockey failing again? Is this just hockey failing to promote their product? I don't know. I'd like to if you got if you're listening and you have any ideas, let me know. I'm I'm generally curious because I've tried to figure this out and I can't really. But what I would say is I've watched every game of this tournament. Everyone. The game at three o'clock today, it's Sweden and Austria. I'm going to watch it. I was up till quarter to two last night watching Switzerland and the United States. To me, there's something that draws me in. I like watching the, the future talent. I like seeing guys play extremely well. 
there's certain guys that just make you tune into a game. Let me try to sell you on the World Juniors here for a minute, if you're not watching. And I get it if you're watching the, the uh, Rogers Cup or the National Bank Open, because I'm watching that too. That's been great. But I did see a tweet last night from Arash Madani, who works for Sportsnet. And this probably won't help me. I'll never get a job at Sportsnet, but who cares? They probably won't hire me anyway because I'm, I'm unbiased, and they only hire biased people anyway. That just kept me from a job. But he, he wrote, the National Bank Open had better, had better ratings than the precious Team Canada, our nation's game, in quotes. Then he had to clarify and said he was talking about hockey can't. And it wasn't – I was taking a shot at hockey. I was taking a shot at, at the game, at Canada's game. Like, is tennis more popular in Canada than, than hockey now? No, Arash. It's a stupid comment. It pissed me off that, that – I mean, these sports night guys. God. 660, him. It's just stupid comments. But anyway, that's another story. For, you know what? Get back on track here. But I could do an hour on them. Some of those people over there. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. So I'll sell you on the tournament. If you are thinking, well, all these players are drafted. Ugh, I don't want to watch them. Half of them won't make the NHL. Some of the best players aren't there. Ugh, this is a bore. Okay. Here you go. Number one. You're going to see multiple players play at this tournament. They're going to play in the NHL next season. Mason McTavish is going to play in the NHL next season. If he doesn't, something's wrong. He's playing in the NHL next season. I believe, watching him, Luke Hughes is going to play in the NHL next year. Now, he might go back to Michigan. I'm not so sure. The kid's unreal the kid can play the kid might be better than Quinn his brother Luke Hughes brother of Quinn brother of Jack he is incredible his shiftiness his ability to get shots through he's going to play in the NHL next season there's two guys that are going to be NHLers next year He could be another guy that plays in the NHL next year. Those are three guys already that could be NHLers as soon as next year. I could bounce around to other teams. Simon Edmondson could, I think, for, for Sweden. They likely won't because that's not the way Sweden handles business, which I'm fine with. They know what they're doing there. So there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of a few NHLers that you you might see on your screen next year. Even if you don't watch New Jersey as much as I do, you'll see them when they play the Leafs. You'll see Luke Hughes play when you played against your team. You'll see that you'll see that player on the ice. So there's another one. One reason. Number two. You might see a tournament where the best player in the tournament is a 17-year-old un underager. Connor Bedard is whew, spectacular. He, his ability to shoot the puck, to get different angles, his release is second to none. 
He has such a gift with the puck. He's got an incredible shot. Connor Bedard is the real deal Holyfield. Watching him the last two games has been a treat. If you haven't seen the tournament, feel free. Because he's going to play this year in Regina. Might score 60 goals. I think he'll win CHL Player of the Year. And then you're going to be looking saying, who is this guy? Why didn't I watch him at the World Juniors? Oh, I'll watch him in Moncton. Well, watch him twice. How often do you get the ability to watch CHL on TV? Not that often. Connor Bedard is going to go first overall, and he's going to be a first overall pick that's going to have a real impact on the league. This isn't a Nico Heischer pick. This isn't a Shane Wright Slavovsky draft. This is a guy that is going to be a tone setter, a game changer, a franchise maker. Period. Number three reason to watch this tournament. Some really good defensemen are coming to the NHL. To me, the, the defense position in the NHL currently is a weak one. I think goaltending is weak in the NHL, and I think defense is weak also. The, the NHL needs a new influx of defensemen. Some guys that are obviously that can skate the puck and provide offensively, but there's still a spot for good defensemen that can just play the right way. Simon Edvinson is the real deal. Edvinson and Moritz Sider are going to pair in Detroit. They know how to draft defensemen. They know how to develop them. Look at Cronwall. Look at Lidstrom. They know how to develop Swedish defensemen. Okay, Sider's German. Close enough. He is big. He's mobile. He's smart. Simon Edvinson, great defenseman in this tournament. Another guy for me that I really like. David Juracek from the Czech Republic. I'm going to talk about the Czech Republic today. I like the team a lot there. They're starting to play good hockey. David Juracek is a big physical force that has a huge shot and just makes things happen. David Juracek is legit. Michael Spacek, another defenseman for the Czech Republic, is another guy that will be an NHLer. He's too smart. He's too poised, and he's too fast not to be. I already mentioned Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes has been incredible in the first two games of this tournament. Sure, they played lackluster competition. I don't care. He's putting up fantastic points. He's the, he's the best player on the U.S. roster by a long margin. Matthew Nyes, who was the talk of town, the Maple Leafs draft pick, of course he's going to get most of the airtime, has been pretty irrelevant. Pretty invisible the first two games, while Luke Hughes has been all over the ice and been top of mind. Defenseman, defenseman, defenseman. I can mention Casper uh, Plutio on the Finnish team. I mean, Team Finland's got a number of defensemen that can just flat-out play. Plutio, Topi Nimala on Team Finland is good. Uh, Vero, that's why I think Finland could win the tournament because their back end is so damn strong. Canada's be biggest weakness on their team because I don't think they have one great defenseman. Zabrango's good. He's not great. Very good defensively. Doesn't bring a whole lot to the table offensively. Selwager's a good player. He has his deficiencies. 
I'll go through Team Canada in a second here. But those are just a few reasons why you should watch this tournament. There are going to be NHLers in this tournament playing next year. Mark my words. Great defensemen in this tournament. Defenseman-laden tournament. Some really, really top-notch talent. So I just think there's there's a lot a lot of great things to see, and it doesn't always have to, just because it's in August. You can tune into it and enjoy it. It's not a sellout to watch hockey in August anymore. I didn't want to do an infomercial on this tournament, but I saw that tweet last night and it bothered me. I'm not mad that tennis is getting more publicity than hockey because I'm watching a shit ton of tennis too. But you can do both. And I'm going out to the games. I hope people start going. Hope the crowds are better. Hope people show up. It looks pretty sad right now, the, the crowds that are there. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. But that's that's my little talk about the tournament as a whole right now and what I what I hope to happen in the coming days. Now to Team Canada. We'll start with them. I'm going to do an overview of every team, but I'm going to talk about Canada here. I watched the first game, and I had an opinion that I've since changed, just that by the next day watching a game. And I didn't, do, I didn't get a chance to do a show yesterday, so I w- normally I wouldn't have to reveal this opinion, but I was, it was wrong, and I feel like I should. I didn't think Mason McCavish and Connor Bedard should play together. I watched the first game, and they didn't have a whole lot of touch. They didn't seem like they had a great connection. They might be friendly off the ice, whatever. But they didn't seem like they had a great connection on the ice. I look at both guys as shoot-first type players. I mentioned Bedard's release. McCavish is a power forward goal scorer. So I thought that after the first game. Then I watched last night. I couldn't have been more wrong. Bedard and McCavish are great together. That first goal that I mentioned where you have Bedard slip through, feed a pass to McCavish, then McCavish sauces a pass cross ice right on the tape of Bedard. He puts it in the back of the net. It was incredible. Elite, elite talent. Not many people can do that. These two guys can But McTavish combines for six points last night in an 11-1 win. He gets four goals, which is a record for Team Canada. Adds two assists, and Bedard gets a goal and a number of assists as well. These two guys can play together. They shouldn't be broken up. I originally thought that you put Stan Coven with Bedard, and you put Johnson back with McTavish, because Kent Johnson played with Mason McTavish in December. They had good chemistry. They're both guys that will be in the There's Kent Johnson, another guy who will be in the NHL next season. They seem to have good chemistry. Well, Bedard and McTavish are the two best forwards on Team Canada, and they're playing together. Maybe that will get more difficult as this tournament moves on, where Canada has the Czech Republic Saturday. That's going to be a tougher game than people think. Czech Republic are a decent team. Their biggest weakness is goaltending. With Ben Nash, the first two games, he hasn't looked great. But their team is not bad. 
Got some players on it that can play. Jan Meshack is playing like I thought he would in December. Looks like a man on a mission. I mentioned their back end. Michael Goot also chips in. The Czechs are, are a tough team. They played Finland tough yesterday. They lost in a gimmick. No shame there. Went went all the way to, to the bitter end, and they could, they could have easily won that game. Marilinen made made a key save key save in overtime, and he was he was uh, you know just in lockdown mode in the gimmick. But what I'll say about Canada is, I think they're they're a pretty smart team. Their, their first game against Latvia, they weren't. They had a lot of odd man rushes. They didn't think about the game. Overall, I think the team's pretty smart. They're extremely dynamic. They, they just make things happen out there. That's what I can say about them. They, you just watch them play, and good things seem to happen. They have many guys that can chip in. I watched last night Ostrichuk, or Ostrichuk. He's got a weird name. It's hard to say. He's a big number 20 anyway for Team Canada. You can watch him. He's on their third line with Dufour and Ridley Gregg. He is a, he's skilled for a big guy. He's physical and he's smart. I, I like his game a lot. He, he can add something at, at the bottom of the lineup. Ridley Gregg, I like him, but he's kind of a dumb play. He makes stupid decisions at times. He can take unnecessary risks. He's a guy that will, I think will take penalties. And he's got tons of skill, but he needs to rein it in because he's not going to be a super skilled player at the next level. This is a good opportunity for him to play a third-line role and to buy into it because I don't think he'll be anything better than that at the NHL level. So he's got he's got stuff to work. I like Brennan Offman, who was a healthy scratch in Game 1. The way he played last night, he will continue to get opportunities higher in the lineup because he just produces. He seems to always be in the right position. If, just stop taking penalties. Stop being a dummy, and you'll get you'll get your looks. You'll get your opportunities. So I like Canada's team as a whole. Dufour still worries me because I think he's selfish, and I think he's more about himself. But he's played decent in the first two games, and they should be able to cover up for that. The worry for Canada. It's not goaltending because I think Dylan Guerin is clearly their number one goaltender. He was he didn't face a whole lot last night, but he was solid. To me, he's just he's confident in the net. He's much more confident than Sebastian Casa. Sebastian Casa looked worried. He looked worried at the Memorial Cup. Just these big spots seem to be getting to him a little bit, which you can't blame him. It's a big spot for him, big opportunity in his career. Dylan Guerin should be the starting goalie. He just he plays the game with confidence. I like the way he goes, and D Dylan Guerin I think will start Saturday night, and I, I think if it goes well, he'll be starting Monday against Team Finland. The biggest concern for Canada is their de defense core. It's going to be a problem when in December you had Owen Power and Caden Gooley, and now in August you don't have either of them. Your two best defensemen are not playing in this tournament. So now, Zellweger, who is good, but you got to know, Zellweger, to me, has some Samuel Gerrard in him where he is a good defenseman, but his physical abilities are limited, and he's going to need some help around him. So he, he brings something up. He scored in both games. He's a good good defenseman. So Zabrango and Zellweger are a good pair because Zabrango is not going to take unnecessary risks. 
He's played pro hockey the last two years, played 65 games last year in Grand Rapids for Detroit's AHL team. So he's played pro hockey the last couple of years. He looks pro ready. He might even get looks at training. If he has a good training camp, he might make the team because he looks pro ready and he's just a confident, smart guy. And I, to me, the one reason why he wouldn't make the NHL is people would say, well, he doesn't take enough risks. He had seven points last year in 65 games in the American League. Seven points as a defenseman now. If you're, if you're a guy that's getting that few of points as a defenseman, if you're a defensive defenseman, it's just it's a fact. You are, you are limited. You're not looked at as fondly. You're not an impact player. You're a defenseman that is just there. You're, you're on the third pair, and, and before you know it, you're out of the league. It's a stupid way of thinking, but I think it happens more often than we think. You need a, you need to be an offensive defenseman on a third pair. I don't know. Colorado had one, and Sammy Girardi got hurt. They won a cup. What does that tell you? So he's good. He's good for this team. After that, oh, Thompson is – I like him. I think overall he's their best defenseman offensively and defensively. He has a good read when a jump into the play. He's a fantastic skater, and he's got a good shot. I think he's a smart guy. He's paired right now at Luca Cormier, and I expected Luca to be better. To me, Luca is playing timid. He's a guy that I don't know what he is as a player. Is clearly he's an offensive guy. He scored thirty goals in the Q last year. But on this team, I thought he would look at the defense score, no power, no goalie, and view this as an opportunity to be the top dog, to be the best defenseman on this team. Through two games, he hasn't. The only reason he's going to get more opportunities is because Ronan Seeley is just, he's a hindrance. He's a liability out there for Team Canada. He constantly turns, he's a turnover machine. He gets the puck, it's on the other team's skate, a, sti a stick. It, it might be it's okay against the Slovaks and it's okay against Latvia, but guess what? You start playing good teams, it's in the back of your net. That needs to be talked about, and he's also playing the penalty kill, which is baffling to me, but nevertheless. To me, Luca Cormier is the next factor on how he continues to play. Because Canada's no lock to win this tournament because I just view their defense core as a problem. They're going to be hemmed in their zone. They're guys that have... Seen to jump into the play a lot in inopportune times, in particular against Latvia. Maybe that'll quiet down. It was better last night. And I'm not doing, I'm not picking on Luca, but he, and yes, I get it. He's from New Brunswick. You want to talk good about the people that are from your home. And I, I root for him, of course. But when you're not playing, when I don't see you playing that well, I'm not going to bake you a cake. That's not how I do it here. So I, I think he, in spurts, can play really well. You see the first night against Latvia, he scores a goal. That, to me, okay, great. He scored a goal. But there's that play where he jumps into the play and he gets a really good look and it hits this, I think it hit the, the top of the blocker. It was nearly in the back of the net. It was a burst of speed. You saw his skill. You saw his speed on display there, you know, up close and personal. But it's too often where he's timid or, or he'll, he'll jump into the play at the wrong time and then it's an odd man rush. So... He is the, is the X factor of the defense core to me because he is extremely an extremely good defenseman, but he needs to have that confidence to be one of the top dogs in this team and not just – because if he's not being offensive, he's not pressing, if he's not adding to the offense of this team, 
defensively, he has his limitations. He's not that great defensively, quite frankly. He has his warts. Every player does, but he has his issues when it comes to defending. So for me, he needs to he needs to jump, become become a presence offensively on this team because otherwise, I don't know what he's bringing to the table that that's that that's very effective or going to help Team Canada get into the medal round and beyond. Yeah, but overall, first two. I mean, you win eleven one, you win five two. You expect to beat. Slovakia, you expect to beat Latvia. So I think that's a, a promising start for Canada. They play the Czech Republic tomorrow night. I think that'll be a tight game. I think Canada will win it because I think they have more high-end skill than the Czech Republic. But the Czech Republic have played well over the, the first two. They started off slow to Slovakia. They're down 5-4. But you're seeing guys that I mentioned Jan Mishak, and he's been the biggest reason why the Czechs have been in it. He had 13 shots in the first game against Slovakia on goal. 13 shots on goal. He had an assist yesterday that was just a, a clean face-off win. Goes back to the point. They score a goal. He ties the game late in the third period. He's been the focal point of this team. He looks confident. He looks like a completely different guy than he was in December. I thought in December the pressure got to him. He looks more free now. He looks like he's having more fun playing. He even scored the Czechs' only gimmick goal yesterday, and the only one of the te- of the five shooters to score a goal. He beat beat on the beat Marilina just crisp with the wrister. So he another guy that that is playing well for the Czech. I mentioned Juracek on the back end, Ben Nash, the Detroit Red Wings fourth round pick. I worry about him in net. He doesn't look confident. He never looks set to me. And that that would be one of the concerns for me when it comes to the checks and keeping the game close. But the way they play, they are a physical bunch, and I think that's something that this team needs to do. Late in the game last night, Slovakia got physical, and they tried to rough up Connor Bedard. And what I love to see from Bedard, just to go back to Canada for just a second, he took the physicality in spades. He loved it. He brought it on. He got into a face wa- a face wash competition. He was engaged in the physicality. He seemed to be enjoying it, which would be a promising thing for me if I was a scout. But the Czechs need to be physical with the whole team. Canada's defense core is not the biggest group. They're a bunch of skilled puck movers, and I think being physical with them, forcing turnovers in their own zone, is a way to keep the game close and be competitive. They played Finland. Finland was my pick to win the tournament. And I'm not so sure about that anymore because after the first two games, I'm really confused with where this team is going, even though they're 2-0. But the Czechs should keep this game close, and I expect to see a tight game tomorrow night between Czechia and Canada. Finland. Finland is a head-scratcher because I don't know what they're doing with Brad Lambert. Brad Lambert is number 33 for Team Finland. He is the 30th overall pick in the 2022 NHL draft to the Winnipeg Jets. And I expected him to be one of the top, just one of the top people in this tournament. Just producing-wise, the name you hear all the time on Team Finland. Yet this tournament starts, and basically he's on the third line. He's playing wing, even though he's a center by trade. And he just doesn't seem to be set. 
He's on the second power play unit. Again, he's playing the wing. I don't know what's going on. He didn't play great yesterday. I will say that. He took a bad penalty in the second period. All fair. But he's a better player than a third liner, and I'm wondering why. what's the deal with Finland. I, something's up here. Something stinks because he's too good of a player to be on a third, third line and playing the wing, being on the second power play unit. The first line for Finland has been the best line, I would say, of the tournament until I saw McTavish last night. So the second best line in the tournament. Where Atu Ratu has been fantastic. You have Ronnie Hervinen, the least pick. And then you have Joachim Kemmel, who is second in the tournament in points. Ratu and Hervinen are both uh, also in the top five in points in this tournament. The line's firing in all cylinders. Ratu had the game-winning goal until Meshach tied it up. The line's been producing for Finland. Every time they're on, their ice, they, on the ice, they seem to be scoring. They play with each other on the power play. So the top, maybe that's just the line the coaches have liked, but why is Lambert on the third line? Why is he not getting that much opportunity? Why did he only play 16 minutes yesterday? He's better than this. He was projected to be a higher draft pick in the draft, and he dropped to 30th. I thought he'd go higher. I like him a lot as a player. But I see a guy that's frustrated. I see a guy that's not playing his position. And I'm wondering if there's a coaching issue, if, this, if, if it's an attitude thing with Lambert. Because it's too weird. There's something strange of why this guy is not getting more of an opportunity. Because I thought he'd be tournament MVP and Finland would win the gold medal. With him playing this role and how effective he has been, which is not much so far in two games, they won't win. They won't win the gold medal because he, he won't have enough of an impact. He won't be around the puck enough. He won't be it – ju it just won't happen. So I'd love to hear a story from a reporter there from one of the TSN crew of why – really get into this. Can you talk to the coach? Get a sore something of like what's going on with Lambert? To me, there's something up. Because you might not have heard the name, but you've, you've seen the player play in the World Juniors before. The guy is legit, and he's not getting much of an opportunity. Played 16 minutes yesterday. He wasn't on the ice in key situations. He didn't get a shot in a gimmick. He's a dynamic player. I don't know. I'm wondering if it's a player issue, if it's a coach player issue, what's up? Because it's too strange. Finland's top line is great. I love their defense core. I think it's the best defense core in the entire tournament on, on a, a single team. Their goalie is okay. Levi Marilainen, who was the uh, starting goaltender for Kingston last year in the Ontario Hockey League. Kingston was a team that loaded up. They had Shane Wright on their team. You could argue the big reason why, one of the, one of the biggest reasons why they didn't go farther in the OHL playoffs was because of Marilainen. Nevertheless, he, he wasn't great for them. We'll see what he can do in this. He started the first two games for Finland in this tournament. He's clearly the number one goalie. I have my, I, my, I think he has his warts for sure. I don't think he's a great goaltender, but he might be good enough with a stacked defense core in front of him to overcome those limitations. I look at Garand. I think Garand is – I view him as a more solid goaltender currently 
than I do Marilinen. I think Marilinen is better than Bednash. I think Jesper Wallstadt is the best goaltender in the tournament for Team Sweden. There are some good goaltenders in this tournament for sure. Caden Maburko has been extremely solid for the United States, who plays in the USHL. But I, I think for Finland, I don't love their goaltending situation. And the Lambert question mark, does he get more, of a, more opportunities moving forward? Finland's next game is tomorrow, I believe. It's going to make sure here just to look up their schedule. I think they play tomorrow afternoon. Or tomorrow, they might play tomorrow night after the, after the Canada game. Unless they have a back-to-back. But they, they, they just look out of sorts to me. I, I don't know what, what's the deal there, if there's a smell in the air or something's not going right for Finland. But normally it's a very it's a team that's connected. It's a team that all things are, are firing on all cylinders. I don't think the same can be said so far in this tournament when it comes to them. So we'll see what happens. Sweden. Sweden is had one of the worst games. And I'm just looking at the schedule now. Finland plays Sunday against Slovakia, and then they'll play Monday against Canada. So they have two off days, and then they play a back-to-back to finish the tournament. So that is their schedule. Sweden had, for a great team in this tournament, had maybe the ugliest first game of any of the great teams in this tournament. I'm talking about U.S., Canada, Finland. Sweden was horrible. They, they were asleep. They looked uninterested. They had no dynamic offensive performers. All I could say was that Wallstat was great. He made big saves. Simon Edvinson is the real deal. And Switzerland should have won the game. Switzerland had a five-minute power play because there was a major called with 6.58 to go. Switzerland did not score on it. They went 0 for 6 on the power play in the game. Their power play is horrible. They have a great defensive system, although they lost last night 7-1 to the U.S., but you can only push back for so long. The entire first period that they played street, for half that game, they were, they were in the game. They're frustrating. They make things tough. I do want to see Sweden, pre- uh, Switzerland press a little bit against bad teams. I look at that, that draw. They got Germany, and they got Austria. They'd like to win both of those games to see if they can go, uh, go deeper in the tournament and get into a quarterfinal situation. So they need to press more against bad teams, but they got a solid goaltender. But they, they don't have many great offensive dynamic performers. Simon Knack would be their best one, their captain. But they need to press against bad teams. Sweden did not impress me whatsoever. Normally you say, well, Sweden-Austria Friday afternoon, that's a sleepy game. It might be a blowout, but I want to see Sweden play. I want to see them play with structure. They had none. In their first game. They were horrible. Horrible. They should have lost the game. It was a 3-2 game. They're lucky to win it. Wallstat was fantastic. I didn't see one dynamic offensive player. Not one that I could say. You hear names like Wallander and, and you look around and I didn't see. I want to see dynamic playing from Team Sweden. I'll talk about that tomorrow before I do the NFC East is how they look today. Because they were shit yesterday. By far the worst team of, of all the great ones, how they played in their first game. Horrible, 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 horrible. 
So Sweden, Austria this afternoon, they need to show up. Point blank. They need to show up and play because they, they were horrible in their first game of the tournament. United States. United States ha are, they look great to me. They're fast. That's my, my underlying thing about the United States is they are fast. Fastest team in the tournament, bar none. Luke Hughes, Bordalo, Slaggerty. These guys are quick. Incredibly quick. I like the United States. I'm not sure they're as good as Canada, but they can certainly compete with them. They won the last tournament in 2021. They could win this tournament again. Their goaltending is not loaded by any means. But it, it doesn't have to be for this team for me. Maburko is solid. There's a lot of goalies that are just okay on teams. I think their, their team as a whole can make up for it. Mentioned Matthew Nyes has been really quite invisible through the first two games. I expect him to be better. The United States has played, thus far, they played Switzerland and they played. Uh, they played Switzerland and they played uh, Germany thus far. They've dominated both games. They have their biggest test tomorrow night. They have Sweden tomorrow night in the, the last game of the day. The 11 o'clock start tomorrow night. Two best teams on that half of the draw. I expect that to be a great game. Sweden's coming off a of back-to-back, -back, but I don't think they'll be that tired. It's it's the game of the two biggest games of the pre-tournament are Canada, Finland, and Sweden, and the and the United States. I'm sorry, Sweden and the United States is Sunday night. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. That's Sunday night before I leave. I'm planning on. I want to get that game in before I. Before I hop on the flight, so I'm not going to sleep before the flight. So that's the game. Sweden, United States, 11 o'clock start. That is what's happened. But U.S. have a, a lot of dynamic players. Bre Brett Berard is another guy for me. He's a small little guy, but he can. He's fast. They can play. Slaggerty's really impressed me, as I mentioned. So th this United States team is not big in stature. I find they're 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 a smaller team. But they have some good players. They have some guys that are just incredibly dynamic that can finish at the net. Mazur is, is a guy I hadn't really heard of. He had a four-point night last night against Switzerland. He's a guy that can finish. Uh, Red uh, Duran is, is a guy in the fourth line. He can finish. He's got good touch around the net. I'm looking through the team. like Bordalo, as I mentioned, I like. Wyatt Kayser is a good player. Raleigh Duran scored a goal last night. So... This Logan Cooley has been just okay through the first two games, but he's the third pick in the draft. And the best thing I can say about Logan Cooley is that he's a smart player. He's a really smart player, and he seems to always be in the right position. That's a great thing to have early in your career. He's going to have to be because he's going to play for ASU. But to me, what the, the thing for, for the United States is Luke Hughes is going to drive this team. He's their best player. I mentioned, but I think through the first three days of this tournament, yeah. So I've watched through the first three days, the three best players in this tournament are McTavish, Bedard, and Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes had 17 goals last year as a freshman in college. He was up for the Hobie Baker Award as a freshman. 
He was 17. That doesn't happen. That you're up for the Hobie Baker as a freshman. He was two points away from being a point for a game as a freshman defenseman. Most, Gord Miller made this point last night, and he's spot on. Most freshmen in college, college hockey, are 20. Because you know why? Because they played CHL, or they played USHL until they were 20 years old, and then they jumped into the college game. Johnny Gaudreau was 23 when he got to the NHL. Played four years of college. He is 18 years old, and he's lighting up, playing at Michigan. Loving it. Kid can play. United States, Sweden, Sunday. Canada, Czech Republic, Sat. Those are the two best games this weekend. There are seeding games that are important. Of course, you have Latvia plays Slovakia. That's an important game for both teams as they hope to get into a to the quarterfinals, and, and they're battling for positioning. But those two games will have the biggest effect on who wins divisions, who those type of things. So it's been a solid, solid tournament so far. There's a lot of good things about it. I think attendance will go up as the tournament goes on in Edmonton. I think people will start watching as we get into the meta round, I hope, around the globe when it comes to TV ratings. But hey, if you're like me watching the tournament and nobody else is, we're better for it because we get to watch a lot of great talent. We get to see these kids play, and the other people can bitch about why they're not watching it, and they can live their unhappy lives while me and you live long and prosper. I would do the Spock thing, but I can't. Let's see. I think that's might be three fingers. I don't even know. I don't watch Star Trek. Star Wars is okay. Star Trek's a little too nerdy and a little too uh, boring for me. But wonder what a poll. If there's a poll, Star Trek or Star Wars, what would your vote be? Captain Kirk or Obi Wan? They've both been pretty successful, but I think certainly Star Wars has been better by a sizable margin. Maybe I'm wrong. Live long and prosper. Rogers Cup or the National Bank Open. New sponsors every other year. So why is Rogers Cup not sponsoring it? It's on Sportsnet. You know who owns Sportsnet? Rogers. Maybe because it's on Rogers. National Bank comes in. Another sponsor. More money. There you go. Noah figured it out in five seconds. Anyway. The National Bank Open. As I knew it all the time, I said I knew that has been very entertaining thus far. As we get into quarterfinal Friday here, the tennis has been very, very solid. It's been incredibly hard to predict with upsets galore, and maybe the most interesting or crazy thing is that. There have been more upsets on the men's draw than the women's draw. Normally, the women's draw is full of upsets. There's normally seeds are gone before you know it. And that's happened. World number one, Iga Swiatek, lost yesterday to Beatrice Hadid Maya, who has won two tournaments this year, 
Now she's beaten the world number one. I think she's 24th ranked in the world. So she's having a hell of a season, is Beatrice I did Maya. Went beating Layla Annie Fernandez, then beating Schweitek. She plays on center court this evening in the night session. So she's gone. The men's draw, Daniil Medvedev, the world number one, is out, losing to Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios has been on quite a run lately. Final at Wimbledon. Wins the City Open last week, and he's currently playing on center court in the quarterfinal against Hubert Hurkaz, the eighth seed at this tournament. The men's draw has three seeds left. Casper Rudd, the fourth seed. Felix Ogialiasim, the Canadian, who's the sixth seed, and Hurkaz, as I just mentioned, the eighth seed. It is just, it's a cascade of interesting, of just weird. You have Kyrgios, who's unseeded, but he's here. Daniel Evans from Great Britain is in the quarterfinals. He's unseeded. Jack Draper, another man from Great Britain who's having a hell of a run, beats Gail Mafis last night in the night session, not ranked. Tommy Paul, who's an American, not seeded. He is, he is into the quarterfinal round. He beat Marin Cilic in straight sets last night in very convincing fashion. So it's just, it's been a, an upset galore because currently... Hubert Hercos is up. A, he won the first set in a tie break, 7-4 over Nick Curios. They're 4-3 on serve in the second set. Hercos has had a, a he's had a great couple of years on tour. He's a very confident player. He could easily win this tournament. You also have Pablo Carino Busta, who beat Yannick Sinner last night in straight sets. Carino Busta is a good player, not seeded, however. He's had a tough season with injuries. He's been to a U.S. Open semifinal before. But as I just said, you have Five of the eight seed, five of the eight men are unseeded at the on the men's draw. Daniel Evans beat Taylor Fritz yesterday. Tommy Paul beat Marin Cilic. Pavel Krina Busta beat beat number seven, Yannick Sinner. Jack Draper beat number thirteen seed Gail Monfils. Kyrgios beat uh, I forget who he beat yesterday. Another seed and Hercos was obviously seeded. So Kyrgios is uh, now at four all in the second set. He's been on quite a run. I'm interested to see if he can battle back and get a win against Hercos in a tough, tough matchup here to to start the day. For Canada, Felix Ogialiasim won convincingly last night in really interesting, you know, just a clinic fashion over Cameron Norrie, another Brit who made it to the semifinal Wimbledon. But last night, like, really. Felix looks as confident as he has been. He goes through spurts, seeming like every tennis player now, where he will be dominant for three weeks. He'll have three great tournaments in a row. He'll have one good appearance at a major, and then it'll be two months of a slide. We've seen that all the time. We looked at Bianca Andreescu. She basically had a year slide. Emma Raducanu is having that now. You have a little bit of success as a young player. It's very hard to maintain, and you, you seem to just lose it before he ever had it. So for Felix, he's feeling it now. He's got he's next on center court. So following the Kyrgios match, he will be on court with Casper Rudd, who made the final at the French Open. So this will be no easy task for for Felix to get into the semifinal. But he looked he looks incredibly confident. I think he likes that he's playing in Montreal. That's his hometown. He's playing off the crowd. And I, I expect him to win. The way he's played so far in this tournament, I think he'll beat Casper Rudd, and if he wins that match, I mean, let's just be honest. 
the people that Rogers, who owns this tournament, but it's a National Bank Open, which we figured out just a minute ago, is to make more money. They do not want Hubert Hurkacz against Felix Ogiasi. They don't want Hubert Hurkacz against Casper Rudd in tomorrow afternoon's semifinal. They want Nick Kyrgios versus Felix Ogiasi on center court. They want that match, and the reason why is because these two men are cells. You get your Canadian. They'll have a good attendance even if Felix wins and Nick Kyrgios ends up losing this afternoon. But those two are compelling. Nick Kyrgios is the most fascinating, is the most compelling tennis player in the world. Nobody can convince me to the contrary. Nick Kyrgios may be contrary, but he is also widely entertaining. He is dynamic. He is an enigma. He has something that very few tennis players have. Flair, personality, interest. Hubert Hercaz, Casper, oh, it's just names you throw around. Daniel Evans, Tommy Paul, okay, great. On the other side of the draw, you're guaranteed to see two unseeded players play in a semifinal. I'm sorry, that's not sexy. Whether it's Daniel Evans, Carino Busta, Draper, Paul, whatever the combination, it won't be that great. You want to see one match that is incredibly entertaining, something that lights up a room. That is what these organizers are rooting for, is a curios Ogialiasim semifinal. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. But that's what they want. Believe you me. It's been great tennis, though. Has been. I think the women's draw has been better. That Swiatek match yesterday was fantastic. As I mentioned, I had it in Maya. Got through Plitschkova last night. Coco Goff won a very entertaining match yesterday afternoon against Arnia Sabalenka. Coco Goff and Simona Halep just got on court in Toronto. That's a big match this afternoon. Coco Goff is, she's a young tennis player that continues to just have success. She got to the final of the continued her rise. She made the uh, round of 16 at Wimbledon. Again, she's at a quarterfinal here. She's not winning every every event. She's not Serena Williams, don't get me wrong, but she's not falling off the planet. She's 18 years old, and she continues to find ways to win. I give her a ton of credit. However, I look at the two matches this afternoon. Coco Goff against Simona Halep. Simona Halep's a multi-time major winner. She's inc- incredibly inconsistent. She Her, her court's not her best surface. So I'm going to pick Coco Goff to win this afternoon. Coco's up 2-1 in the first set. So they're on serve. Nothing's happened yet. The next match features number 7 seed Jessica Pagula and Putin Seva from, the, from, the, uh, from Kazakhstan. To me, Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula are the two best female American-born tennis players in the world right now. Sophia Kennan has won a major, so has Sloane Stevens. But again, you win a major, you fall off because there's no consistency now. That's what happens. The Serena Williams, the, the, this, what happens with, with these women now is it's so hard to maintain success. It's so hard to, to grasp winning. I heard Pam Shriver on Overdrive this week talk about how she got to a final Grand Slam final when she was 16 in her second major. She struggled with it for the whole year. She never got back to that level. So Sophia Kennan 
has done something that Jessica Bagula and Coco Goff haven't yet. That's win a major. So she deserves credit for that. Sloane Stevens did in 2017 at the U.S. Open. Madison Keys has yet to do it. But to me, Coco Goff and Jessica Bagula are the two best American-born women tennis players in the world currently. Jessica Bagula is the daughter of the uh, Terry Bagula, who owns the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. They, if they both win today, they'll meet in tomorrow's semifinal. Another match I think this tournament would love to sell. The two very charismatic women. I think they're easy to, to root for. We'll see what happens. If I had to bet, if I had a futures bet on who I think would win a major first, I'm going with Jessica Bagula. Coco Goff is the shiny new toy. She's been to a major final, which Jessica Bagula has not done yet. But Jessica Bagula is just a consistently good player. She is always in the mix. She's always deep into tournaments. She's got a great forehand. Uh, Her service is fantastic. The biggest thing about Coco Goff is consistency with her serve. When it's on, it's on. When it's not, she will get 13 double faults in a match. Bagula has a great serve. She uh, will serve in volley a ton. She just has all the tools in the toolbox. I'm not sure either woman will win a major. I think one of them will, if not both of them will, because of how the, the nature of women's tennis and the way I've talked about really tennis right now, when the big three leave in, the, in men's tennis, it's going to be anarchy because I think a different player is going to win every other major. But I'm going to go with Jessica Bagula to win a major first. I might lay down a futures bet on her to win the U.S. Open next uh, later this month because she is that good. It's the, it's the women's game. You never know. Swiatek has won two majors, world number one. She had a 37-match win streak this year, but she's only won the French Open. She's won it twice. She has not won on grass. She has not won on hard courts. Fact. Ash Barty is not playing anymore. She's retired. She was the best player in the world. Fact. Carolina Pliskova is a fantastic player. She's wildly inconsistent. She lost in the first round of Wimbledon. She was in the final the year before. That is the state of women's tennis. I think Jessica Bagula and and Coco Goff are good bets to go deep to be to go deep in tournaments and to compete. But I, I think if I had to pick one, I think Jessica Bagula will win a major first. The other the tonight's matches you have Beatrice Adid Maya against Belinda Bencic, who won quickly last night against Gavin Muguruza. Bencic is a very good hardcore player. She's won she won the gold medal. Uh, at the Olympics a number of years back. She, so she's got Hadid Maya. I think that's a, a pick because just of how Hadid's Maya, Hadid Maya has played a couple long matches with Layla and with Ashwitek yesterday that went three hours. So we'll see what she has in the tank. Bencic only played a little over an hour with, with Muguruza last night. While Pliskova and Zhang are in the other semifinal tonight, Pliskova beat uh, Maria Sakkari, who was the three seed in in a tough three-set match, and Jang got by Bianca Andreescu. And I want to talk about that real quick. So Bianca Andreescu had won two matches in this event, which to me was a success-ish for Bianca. She had very little success prior to this tournament. You saw her win some matches. You saw her beat Kazakina, who had just gotten to the top 10. She beat Elise Cornet, and she loses to Zhang, which is frustrating because Zhang's a, an opponent she should have beat. Tracy Austin made this point last night in the telecast that tonight's more pressure in the first two matches for Bianca because she should win this one. Bang on, correct. She's also 
also say this. Uh, Tracy Austin's very good. I think she's a fan, fantan, fan, uh, fantastic tennis commentator and a good get by Sportsnet for, for getting her on, on the telecast. The women are better than the men uh, when it comes to the coverage. I think Carolyn Cameron and uh, Tracy Austin are both quite good. So Bianca loses in three sets. She has some positives and some negatives from, the, from this event, for sure. You win a couple matches, but last night it was just one where she had the first set. She threw it away. She had two breaks where she gave them back. And at serving down 5-6, she, get, she gets double faults on the last point. Zhang wins the first set. What I thought was big, I'm like, okay, Bianca's going to come back and win this match. She, she faced two break points in her opening service game of the, of the second set. She fought both of them off. She didn't face another one the whole set. She wins the second set 7-5. The big thing for me is her serve. It's, it's too inconsistent. It doesn't have enough on it that really scares you for me. It's just she doesn't have enough spin. If, if you watch her game, her returns, the ball hangs up in the air, so it gives her opponent a lot, a lot to work with. You can hit the ball wherever you want. You can make it difficult. You can put a lot on it, and Bianca just couldn't do anything with it. She might have ran out of gas. That can happen for sure. I think some of that happened with Leilani Fernandez, who had played two matches since the French Open where she lost in the quarterfinal. And the tough thing for Bianca is her ceiling is winning a Grand Slam. There's no now it's it's not, well, you got to a semifinal, that was great. It's winning another one. Because once you're up at that level, you can't come down to be with the peasants again. Once you're king, you can't go back. Rich people don't like to be poor. They don't like to become middle class. They like to stay rich the rest of their life. It's the same thing when it comes to winning. These big organizations don't want to be lumped in with the rest. Why do you think Jerry Jones having such a hard time with the Cowboys? Because they're now at the Washington Commanders level. Because they've been that incompetent the last number of years. They're that at that level because they haven't won anything. They've won three playoff games in 25 years. Like it or not, you don't want to come down to that level. Bianca's had a tough couple years. She had positive moments in this tournament, no doubt. But she needs to start... to really, truly show people that she's back to where she was. She looks, she looked to be in great shape. She looked, she looked great on court. Will she ever get back to that level? Remains to be seen. We'll wait and see. But the Rogers Cup's been, been phenomenal. I will say that. I think it's been fantastic tennis. I'm tracking it as we do the show here. Coco Goff and Simona Halep, 2-2 in the second set, 40-all. While on the men's draw, Nick Kyrgios is up 4-2 in a second set tiebreak. He looks to force a third set against Hubert Hercaz. And as I mentioned, the promoters are so vehemently rooting for Nick Kyrgios to beat Hercaz and for Felix Ozil to then beat Casper Rudd so they can get that semifinal at their tournament. Because it's a, it's a, better, it's a better sell it's a better look for the event. Baseball. You're thinking, why am I talking about baseball? It's a quiet couple days in baseball. The Blue Jays got rained out on Wednesday. Well, a couple things. Did you know there was a game last night at the Field of Dreams location? 
Field of Dreams is a movie. Kevin Costner's in it. Most some people think it's a really good sports movie. I think it's pretty awful to be to be honest with you. Never gripped me. I thought the storyline was stupid. I thought the acting was pretty bad. Field of Dreams to me is not a great sports movie, but a lot of people love it. Joey Votto, the great Canadian baseball player, seemed to really enjoy it. Said it connected him and his father. Great, love it. If you like it, that's your that's your preference. Sports movies are tough. It doesn't rise to the level of me of remember the Titans or Miracle or I mean I mean there's to be honest a lot of bad sports movies Major League's a good sports movie there's a lot of bad sports movies to be honest more bad ones than good ones Happy Gilmore and, and those ones are in a different category because it's Adam Sandler but nevertheless Field of Dreams well there's a the second annual Field of Dreams game last night on Fox. And I'll tell you what I did last night. I watched some of the Rod, of the National Bank Open. I watched some World Juniors. I even watched some New England Patriots New York Giants preseason football. You bet. I watched some of that last night. <laughs> Proud to say it. I did not watch a second of the Field Field of Dreams game. Now, the first iteration of the Field of Dreams game, whether it's in Indiana, I think, or Idaho, or wherever the hell it is, had the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. Two teams that were fighting for the division, two teams that were in a playoff race, and I think the White Sox walked off the Yankees. So it was a great game. It was compelling. Aaron Judge had a dinger, Tim Anderson, whatever. It had its moments, right? But you know why the Field of Dreams game the first time around was compelling? You know why it was talked about, why people cared? Because both teams were good. If you're not aware of the Field of Dreams game and who played last night, because I don't think Fox did a great job of promoting it, because nobody does a great job of promoting baseball anymore. Also, it was the Chicago Cubs, not White Sox, and Cincinnati Reds who played in this game last night. Chicago Cubs are in last place in their division. Let that sink in for a minute. Chicago Cubs are in last place. Cincinnati Reds are in same division. They're not too far above the Cubs. They stink as well. Pirates stink. It's a shit division, right? But as I mentioned, first one was success, great ratings. People loved it. Great. Major League Baseball is at fault for the Field of Dreams 2.0 being a flat because they booked two teams that stink. Now, if the retort to my opinion here is, well, Noah, how are you going to know the the Cubs and the the, uh, Cincinnati Reds were both stink at this point in the season? Okay. Okay. Let's say you're right because I didn't think the Baltimore Orioles would be good this year. They are. Wrong. I can admit that. Well, you see, in the offseason last year, the Cubs traded away a lot of pieces. Rizzo's gone. Baez is gone. Everybody's gone. The World Series team has been gutted. Wilson Contreras is there and Ian Happ. That's it. 
How about the Reds? Trade Sonny Gray. We're trading pieces galore. Tyler Naquin's gone. We're every piece that could possibly be good, except Joey Votto, who will not accept the trade, is by a Condios. Gone. See you later. Luis Castillo, you want to be a Mariner? Get the fuck out of here. The Reds. Fire sale. Cut salary. We're rebuilding. We knew this back in December that the Reds were going to stink and the Cubs were going to stink. Guess when they made the schedule? January. The teams stunk then. I do not understand why you book an event that is made for TV, that is supposed to be a big spectacle, where you put two teams on the field that have zero chance of making the playoffs and that are have... Who's a player on either team that you want to go see other than Joey Votto, who's 40? And he plays first base. And he's batting 217 this season. Because he's old and he's not what he used to be. He's great on the mic. He's a great interview. Joey Votto, pride of Canada. Love him. But come on. Come on, Major League Baseball. Look around. The NFL can do this in London games with the Jaguars because people love the NFL and people will watch it. People will absorb it because they just, it's like a drug. It's like MDMA. They're just hooked on it and need more, 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 more. People don't do that about baseball. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to, my Thursday night, I'm going to spend my Thursday night watching Reds, Cubs. If you did that last night, God help you. I didn't watch one second of it. If it was two good teams, I would have. It was on Fox. I would have threw it on. Might not have been top of mine, but I'd throw the game on. White Sox, Yankees, it worked. Cubs, Reds, two teams that you knew were going to stink, and they still stink. My God. How about this? I think the Dodgers are going to be pretty good. I, that's, I'm going on a limb there, but I, I think that. Well, the Padres are a team that seem to be chasing the Dodgers a hell of a lot. Is that a hot take? Is that a Mike going out in a limb there? I don't know. How about book them? Field of Dreams. Okay, uh, we don't want to book to uh, Western. Okay, all right. all right. Well, how about the Yankees? They draw. They were in it last year. Oh, we can't book them again. Why not? Why not? You pick and choose the Yankees every time. Yankees, Red Sox, Field of Dreams. Red Sox could stink. People still would love it. they do better ratings than they did last night. I guarantee you. And then it's so funny because I see yesterday that Fox is sending people to the game. They have Fox News people at the game pretending to like baseball. Will Kane and Fox News people are there. They don't give a shit. I don't even know what a baseball is. They're too worried talking about Trump getting raided, Mar-a-Lago. This is a failure by Major League Baseball. This is a failure by everybody involved because it's scheduling. It's something you control. Fans not buy, might not buy tickets. Cubs, Reds. You knew they were going to be bad for six fucking months. Book teams that you know are at least going to be competitive. 
Okay, the Padres aren't running away with it. Wild cards might be a competitive damn game. You might as well have booked the Orioles. Thought they were going to stink. Now they're competitive. They're better than the Reds and Cubs combined. My God. But Major League Baseball knows that Bobby Manfred, he knows what he's doing there. Well, machine, they're baseball. They all, yeah, they're just chugging along. Those people in, in Major League Baseball working there are about as competent as Mike Yelich, the owner of the Detroit Tigers, who blamed Al Avila for all his failures yesterday. Al Avila, the GM who had been with the organization since 2002, GM since 2015, was fired. No postseason since 2014. Team's 43 and 68. Believe me, I thought the team would be better. They stink. Miguel Cabrera might not be able to play next season. Spencer Torrickson, the rookie, has been pretty terrible. Tigers. But Mike Yelich, you best turn things around, my friend. You just fired your bullet at, at Alavilla. Now you're completely running the show, you say. Well, big boy, let's see what you can do. I think it's pretty nice for you just to get to blame Alavilla for your failures. Well, you've been a shitty owner of the Tigers, spending no money. But hey, good on you, my friend. Good luck to the Tigers. Good luck to baseball. Chew away everything. Ah, a little tangent on a Friday. I love it. Oh yeah, this. <laughs> before we wrap up today, this is oh, this is rich. <clears throat> Yesterday, I didn't expect any any NHL news, but we got some. This team always never fails to produce content. The Vegas Golden Knights announced that goaltender Robin Leonard is going to be out the entirety of next season due to hip surgery, meaning he's going to go on long-term IR, and he is done for the season before it even starts. Clears up $5 million in cap space, but at the same time, Vegas now has Logan Thompson, Michael Hutchinson, there you go, Leaf fans, no longer Marley, and Laurent Brassois as their goaltending depth. Number one, I don't know where this team goes. I don't know who they're calling. I heard Seattle comes to mind, maybe. New Jersey seems to have a plethora of bad goaltenders. Maybe they'll take a chance. Goaltenders in Buffalo, potentially. But teams are set at this point. Nobody hang. There's a goalie battle. You're fighting for position. Would Carolina trade Frederick Anderson? I would. Maybe that's somewhere you can go. He makes four and a half. Fits right into that slot. Still get under the cap. I don't know. They just made a trade for Pacioretty. He's he's already injured, so that maybe they do a trade again. More injured players for injured players. But the Vegas Golden Knights have gone from the lovable expansion team to I think a team that. Most fans around the NHL hate. Do you hate the Vegas Golden Knights? I feel like there's hatred for this team. Maybe it's because they had success quickly. But they went from lovable upstart to riverboat gambling. We're going to you know, burn you with cigarettes. They take people. They bring them in. And when you don't, it's, it's like a godfather scene with Vegas. 
you know, it, uh, it's like in Goodfellas, sorry, when they got Joe Pesci and they're gonna, he's about to be made, right? And he's going to meet Big Polly and he's walking in there and he realizes, uh oh, nobody's in this room and he gets shot in the head. Vegas brings them in, you nurture them. The second you step out of line, the second you show a bit of weakness, the second your salary becomes a little too much, you're dead. They fire you around and you're somewhere else. Max Pacioretty is in Carolina. Paul Stastny is still unsigned but went to Winnipeg. You go, go Mark Andre Fleury went to uh, Chicago. They just they send you. You end up somewhere else. You might start there. You're not finishing in Vegas. You you just you get fired off somewhere else. A, a couple seasons, maybe one or two. Gerard Gallant, Peter DeBoer, New York, Dallas. You end up in different places. They like you until you serve your purpose, and then they get rid of you. But the problem is they're spending all this money, and they're not finding that much success. They're banking on Jack Eichel. They don't have a goaltender now. They're in a weak division. But there's a couple things in hockey that will never change. If you don't have a goaltender, you're not going to win. I'm not saying you need a stellar one, but you need somebody. Logan Thompson and Laurent Brassois are not going to do it. I love Alex Petrangelo. I love Shea Theodore. Alec Martinez is one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL. But you're not winning a Stanley Cup with Logan Thompson. Here's a bull prediction, which I don't think it is a bull prediction. You're not making the playoffs with Logan Thompson. Vegas is in deep, deep trouble. Kelly McCrimmon is going to be fired because this team has got all this money What team is going to pony one up? I wouldn't rule out Frederick Anderson. So I know Rob Brendamore, and I talked about with this with friends last weekend. Why did Tony D'Angelo leave? Maybe because of his attitude. Maybe because of the way Rob Brendamore perceived him. Could very well be true. How do you think he likes Frederick Anderson and his injuries? I don't think he'd be a fan favorite of Rob Brendamore. I think he'd run it back with a couple of youngsters. Find a guy. Oh, no, Vegas. Training camp starts in a month. About a little over a month. You don't have a goalie. And you're a month away from training camp. That seems like an issue to me. They better hope they find one. Because this team is going to be in a deep, deep pit if they do not. Even if they get one, they're not guaranteed to go deep in the playoffs. They're not guaranteed to do anything but they need to find one just to play the game. You can't play Frogger without a few coins. You can't play Frogger without, without getting some quarters to throw in machine. You can't play air hockey without tokens. Well, you can't make the playoffs. You can't compete for the cup without a goalie. Circle gets the square. I'll be back tomorrow. NFC East coverage, and we'll recap anything that really piques my interest from the sports world this evening. Have a great Friday, everybody. This is To The Point.